Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Let's get started. We're in that stretch. Oops, where am I? We're in that stretch of verses where Rashi is quiet and therefore we've been uh, spending some time with some other commentators and we'll be doing more of that today. Some Ibn Ezra, some Sforno. Um, just because Rashi has nothing to say doesn't mean that there is nothing to say. And then by the end of class today, I imagine we'll get back to at least the verse in which Rashi starts speaking again, but we probably won't get to the Rashi yet. Okay, uh, I have us um, on chapter seven, having finished verse six of the bookish mode. Well, Morning, seven, Stuart. Seven, we're starting with seven and eight, right? No, I don't think we did seven. About Moshe's age? Yeah, I don't think we did verse seven. We may have read the verse. I don't think we did. But there's there's a lot of material, and I don't think we we did the material on it. Oh, uh, Rachel, you'd asked why I was east. The primary reason is it was junior family weekend at Harvard, so I was able to spend Shabbat with Noah and see her in her element and see her Jewish life there, which is great. Um, be with Hillel, and then while I was there, I saw my parents. Um, okay, so chapter seven, verse seven. Um, let's read the verse itself to get us going, and then we'll look at some commentaries. Uh, by the way, the previous verse was Vayas Moshe Aaron, Kashir Otam Moses and Aaron did. We discussed how it's a singular verb for plural subject. Not the only time it happens. Kashir Otam, just as God had commanded them, Kain Asu. Thus they did. We discussed the double redundancy, the redundant redundancy in the verse, first t- telling us that Moses and Aaron did what God had asked them to do as if there was a supposition that they wouldn't have, and then the verse repeating it, thus they did. So there's a double redundancy, we discussed that a little bit, um, and I think we're going to move forward even though there's always more to say. And now we go to verse 7 in um, chapter 7. Everyone agree that's where we are? Okay, Uh, Alan, you have a microphone near you. Do you want to read verse 7? Sure. Can you guys hear him on Zoom? Yeah? A little bit? Move the mic a little bit closer to you. I know it's hard with the books in front of you. Okay. What do you got? That and, and Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when uh, in when they were speaking to Pharaoh. Good. All right. So we've got ages. We've got the cla- the classic biblical way of expressing double uh, digit ages by giving the the the, um, the 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 tens first and then the numbers. Sorry, the numbers first and the tens it doesn't say eighty three. It says three and eighty years. It's a common way for the Torah to do numbers. And then you did well in that phrase. Bidabram el paro. The dabram is sort of like the gerund. The but is in or when or during. They were these ages in their speaking to Pharaoh. Uh, to, and the speaking to Pharaoh that's about to happen, by the way, right? Not the speaking of like, the, the, it's, it's, it's looking forward to what's about to happen. Okay. Uh, here's another verse where vocabulary, pretty simple, right? Names, years, the verb, the daber, the Pharaoh. There's no question of what does this verse mean, word mean. There's not even a syntactical question about why it's in this order. 
Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't ask any questions on the verse. Rashi doesn't. Rashi is totally satisfied with the verse, uh, but others are not. So uh, let's see. What questions might you have on this verse? We'll start with uh, Renee. I just have a question on a comment that um, Napperstein wrote. He says that uh, 80 and 83 are sets of perfect numbers using 40. I wasn't really clear what perfect numbers means. Perfect numbers? Well, in, in modern math, perfect numbers are numbers whose integers add up to the number. I don't know if that's what he's referring to. Right? I don't know. He says another set of quote unquote perfect numbers, this time using 40 as the base. The master of trivia does it again. Okay. I don't know what, I don't know what Saperstein means by that unless Saperstein knows the name Thorsten Integrity. Um, which will go over many people's heads. But I'm not sure what he means by that. Um, okay. Other questions or comments on the verse? Rebecca Leonard. It seems unusual uh, to state their ages here because normally aren't the ages stated maybe when someone's born or when someone dies? So this is a monumental, perhaps it's the start of a birth. But. Yeah. It's the primary question one could ask on this verse. Why do we care about this? Why are we being told this, right? And if we're told their ages now, why haven't been, we've been told their ages in different uh, points in their lives, right? So we, we, we don't often, as Rebecca says, learn about the ages of people in intermittent points in their lives. We sometimes know their lifespans and we're gonna know Moshe's, right? But, you know, it's like, it's like saying, and by the way, his birthday was the seventh of Nissan, right? So that's a primary question. It's actually interesting to me, although you can make endless arguments from silence, that Rashi does not ask that question. Why is Rashi not interested? Why we care how old they are at this stage in the story, okay? So um, we might look at some answers to that question. In fact, we will, but that is a great question on this verse. Barbara? Um, well, in this case, we're saying Moshe is 80 and we know, because we know, because we've read more before, uh, not in this class, but that he dies at 120, which... Barbara, right can you speak a bit louder? We know that, that Moshe dies at the age of 120, so this gives us an idea about how long are the walk through the desert was to get to Israel, the 40 years. This may be just yes, our first clue. but it's sort of... It's sort of logically backwards because we don't at this point in the story we don't know that there's gonna be a walk we don't know how long right i understand that motion we don't know how old motion when he dies and the torah later on tells us that they walked for 40 years and tells us that he was 120 which means we could have done the math and say ah i wonder how old he was when when the exodus began i think he was 80 because that's 120 minus 40. so i hear your point but but this tourist didn't need to mention that to get that information out there I agree it didn't need to mention it. I think that for some reason, whoever wrote the Torah decided that we should know in advance how old he was so that when you get to Israel, you know, without reading the end of Deuteronomy, how old he was when he died, yeah. we already can figure it out. I, I'm not saying it's a vital piece of information. Yeah. I'm just saying maybe that's the reason it was stuck in there. Well, pun intended, your, your use, it's actually a very vital piece of information, but I'm bummed. And one of the commentaries we're going to look at is going to offer a, a, a similar and more detailed answer. In other words, it's the why of the why. 
Why was it significant for the Torah to tell us that at this stage in the story he was 80? Why is that a significant thing for us to learn? We'll look at the commentaries in a second. Uh, Diane, let's get Diane a microphone. Well, he's starting his journey, right? He's starting his journey, yeah. Well, maybe that's why they mentioned the age, because it's the start of a journey. Yeah, but they start journeys all We didn't know how old, you know, Yaakov was, you know, when he left for Levan, right? Like we, there are plenty of journeys that happen that we don't know the character's ages. So you can make an argument as to why it makes sense here, but why would it <laughs> not make sense in other contexts? Diane? So he seems, both of them seem considerably older than what the story would seem to have indicated, because mm. it's not that long ago that he was circumcising his son coming to Egypt and um, if he's, the, does that mean he was in Egypt for all this time? Yeah. And I mean, we just, it, it raises a lot of questions. So that's a fascinating comment and interesting to me, the medieval, it's not amongst one of the things that the medieval commentators say on the verse, which is how do we get to this stage in their life, right? Are we supposed to understand that when he was with Midian and Sipor having kids, he was in his seventies or he was in his thirties and then all of a sudden decades have passed and have decades passed since the burning bush, right? So the, the answers that we're gonna look at give an explanation for why we're being told that he's 80, but the answers do not get to, how did he get to be 80? So I really appreciate that comment that we don't have no great resolution to it. Rachel, was your hand up? Yes. I'm going to be flippant and amusing and say he was giving art instructions to Michelangelo so that all of the artwork portraying Moses are artwork of an old man and uh, that I think I mean biblical time we can go back and look at the age of Abraham when yeah. Yitzhak was born biblical time is a funny and somewhat fluid quantity but I just thought when I read this line now of all of the artistic representations and that they make Moses look old. Although as we go through the rest of Torah, Moses is certainly not depleted by age. Yeah. He's a very, very energetic character. Lo nas lecho, we're told yeah. at the end of his life. I'm he, sorry. His vigor I'm, didn't. His vigor didn't abate. Yeah. Yeah. I must respectfully dissent. It couldn't have been done because if that's the case, Michelangelo wouldn't have given him horns. <laughs> so um, your comment, Rachel, made me think about something I've, I've, I haven't thought about in a long time. Am I right that in the Ten Commandments, the Cecil B. DeMille version, that there was a directorial decision at some point to age Moshe like instantly? Was it after the burning bush? Maybe this is nothing. But yeah, like, he goes Charlton gray. He goes gray at the burning mm -hmm. bush. And I just wonder if this is Cecil B. DeMille's close reading of the text saying at some point, Moshe comes from being a young man who strikes the Egyptian on his way into Midian to being an old man taking them out of Egypt. And the Torah tells us that. And I never thought about like, why does he get old at the burning bush? But that's the scene that he he goes there, you know, hale and and brown hair. He leaves with that hoary haired, you know, bouffant, right. right? So maybe Cecil B. DeMille was a close reader of the book. I mean, he had to have been. There's no way he could have written done that movie without it. But but I I wonder if that was informing that directorial decision. Interesting. 
Okay, Rick, and then we'll look at we're gonna look at Sforno and Ibn Ezra. Yeah, it happens to executives. They can you get... speak a little bit louder? I, uh, or does Your someone screen know, Stuart, do you want to see if you can make the volume on the speaker louder behind the speaker? Thanks. I was just going to throw when it happens to executives, you know, Obama before and Obama after is all gray. So uh, that it's, it's the stress of the position. Look, so look be careful, Rabbi. After of any president. Now that actually gives us a context for Moshe, because if you if, if you look at any before and after of any president being in the office of president ages a person dramatically. And I'm thinking that gives us a context for Moshe. He's taken on the responsibility for leading 600,000 people from one place to another um, based on the instructions of guidance of this force that only he, Moshe, can communicate with. And that actually gives a context for why he aged so quickly. Yeah. Um, now that we made the volume ladder, thank you. Let's move the mics farther away from our mouth here, because but we'll be able to hear the people on Zoom more. Uh, oh, there it is. Now you can see it. Got the technology. Technology is great when it works. How about that for an obvious statement? Mickey, let's get Mickey a microphone. And then we'll look at Sforno. For those of you on Zoom for a while, the people in the room could not see what was on my computer, which is going to become significant in a second when I share a screen, but we fixed it. Okay. I was just wondering about the perfect numbers thing. I mean, uh, during the burning bush, it's 40 years. He's 40 years old. Now it's another 40 years, another 80, then 40 years until 120. It's like three cycles of 40 that we're going through. I mean, that's that has to be deliberate, right? That's interesting. So. Um, do we know explicitly he was 40 at the burning bush? I don't know. I was just like looking it up and I was thinking it said 40 and I'm thinking the numbers seem to be rounding up. Was it or is I it? I don't a, remember. Was, how old was he at the burning bush? I don't remember if we know explicitly um, how old he is at the burning bush. Um, maybe we do and I forgot. Can that be funny? Yeah. If someone wants to look look for, look for that, it says here um, right. But I don't know if we know that internal to the. I don't know if we know that internal to the math of the Torah. But whether or not we know that, certainly numbers, Mickey, in the Torah. I think some numbers are meant to be actual and some numbers are meant to be archetypical and symbolic, right? Um, and certain numbers, re, you know, repeat. 40 repeats, you know, in, in wandering in the desert um, and 10 obviously repeats and seven repeats. And I think some, sometimes ages seem like hopelessly random, like the, there's no reason why we're told that Avraham lived as 174, 176 years. There's nothing about that number that seems iconic. So it must be that that's just how old the Torah thought he lived to be. Same thing with you know, Metushelach, Methuselah. And some numbers seem beautifully rounded, right? And so what, if we wouldn't go, really want to go meta, you can ask yourself the question, what did numbers mean to ancients, right? And 
might literally numbers have meant something different to them. Not that they thought of the number, they knew that three was three, but what was the impact of saying someone's age and was it significant to attach it to a, a round or perfect number? Um, although Aaron here is just 83, right? So if, if Moshe's num number is symbolic, Aaron is just you know, a couple years older than his younger brother. Okay, let's read, um, what do I wanna start with? Let's read Ibn, Ibn Ezra on this verse. Whoops, oops, 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 too many, too many things open. Ah. I know, but I, I have it. I just need to find it where it is open on my screen. Here it is. Okay. Okay, I'm going to share the screen. Okay. In the room, can you see it behind me? It's there? It's a little bit low, but yeah. better okay so here we got ibn ezra on seven seven moshe ben shmonim shanab yaron ben shalosh ushmonim shanab bedabram el paro here's ibn ezra moshe on the right side he's kir shnotehem the torah mentions their ages velo matzanu as we've been heard around the table we have not found bechol hamikra throughout the entire text nevi'im prophets Shehiz kiram hakatuv that the that the that the vert that the text mentions shehit nabu beziknutam rak ela right it's not saying he's not saying that we don't have other uh, prophets ages is that we have no record of prophets prophesying as old as they prophesied now there's an internal response you can say to Ibn Ezra right now because we believe that the Torah's ages are more symbolic. <laughs> And by the time we get to Nevi'im, people live normal length lives, right? To the extent that we, you know, you know we're told the, the, the ages of Jeremiah or the kings of Egypt, uh, the kings of Israel at that time, they were back into the single, in the double digits, right? So one could say back to Ibn Ezra, it's not that, um, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's bigger than we don't have a record of, of other prophets prophesying this old, it's that the whole way that ages were mentioned, the Torah changed by the time we got to the prophets. But let's leave that as a B. He, he is gonna answer why. What is significant about Moshe and Aaron that we hear that they were still on duty at this age? Their level, their loftiness was greater than all other prophets. Only to them did God speak directly, Amud Anan, specifically in the, 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 the cloud of smoke. Now, if you come to Shul on Friday night, you might have in your brain a sensei, and when you hear the phrase Amud Anan, does that ring a bell to anyone? We have it at the end of the last psalm before the um, the psalm before Lachadadi. I'll pull it up for you. So this is Psalm 99, one of the psalms of Kabbalah Shabbat, and the psalm says direct, directly um, in the in the previous verse, Moshe v'Aaron b'Chuanav, Moses and Aaron among the priests of God, Ushmuel, and 
and amongst the people that God called out by name, Shmuel, Korim Adonai, they called out to God, and God answered them. In the next verse, that in the cloud of smoke, or the cloud of cloud, the, or the pillar of cloud, God spoke to them. So Ibn Ezra is saying, our verse is saying that Moshe and Aaron are separate because Moshe and Aaron are only, only ones to whom God spoke in the pillar of cloud. But in Psalms 99, it seems to say that Shmuel, the first prophet, first the prophet after the, the, sorry, the last prophet before the, the king, got that treatment as well. And so he says, don't let it even raise up into your heart that Samuel was with them. In the fact that it says in the verse I just quoted to you that in the pillar of cloud, God spoke to them and Shmuel was included in that because he was in the previous verse. Don't think that, meaning don't, I have an answer to that. I, Ibn Ezra, already commented there, meaning Ibn Ezra does a like linear commentary also on Psalms, which we'll look at in a second. It was only to Moses and Aaron that God gave the Torah. It's interesting that Aaron gets included in this. And it's by means of Aaron and Moshe that righteous people will inherit the world to come. Other prophets, aside from Moses and Aaron, are not transmitting the initial primary word of God. They're not involved in direct revelation, but they are prophets of what does that mean? What's a tochecha? Rebuke. Either they're coming to say, now, now, how dare you Israelites, right? A very Jeremiah and Isaiah idea. What are atidot? What's atid? Future. Future, right? So Ben Ezra's making the comment that the word navi, when it refers to anyone else but Moshe and Aaron, is a prophet who's coming to say, you Israelites are screwing up, and I'm here to rebuke you, or for them to say, here's what's going to happen in the future if you're not careful, but not changing anything elemental about God's message for the world. Moshe and Aaron were the original transmitters of God's God's message to the world of Torah, and therefore they got different treatment, and therefore, or I don't know where you put the therefore in the sentence, they were able to prophesy longer or have their vigor longer, and it's significant for us to be told that. So if you put Ibn Ezra's comment in a nutshell, you're basically saying, why is it significant that we're told their ages? Because, God, look at these folks. They're 1883, and they're still, they haven't even yet done the central work of prophecy, because we're not at Sinai yet. That's how high and elevated they were. Isaiah was retired or dead by this age. And after all, I don't remember. Which, which Isaiah? Oh, which Isaiah, yes. <laughs> Deutero. Um, and, and, if, and if he was alive by then, his job was, quote-unquote, merely to rebuke or to tell the future, not to be a tr primary transmitter of God's word. Okay, that's Ibn Ezra's uh, comment. Let's just see what he says on the verse. One second. Um... Yeah, so Ibn Ezra on the verse, on the verse in Psalms, in verse 7, Ba'amud Anan, in the pillar of cloud, Alehem, God spoke to them. Ibn Ezra says there, consistent with his comment on our verse, Yashuv el Moshev Yaron. This phrase only relates to Moses and Aaron, Ve'en Shmuel Mehem, and Samuel is not within them, even though. In the previous verse, Samuel is mentioned. So uh, he is internally consistent. Okay, comments on that before we look at um, 
another comment on um, on this verse. Comments what Ebenezer says. Okay, let's look at Sforno. Sforno, Italian commentator, 16th century. Also is on the screen, you can see it? Okay. Umoshe ben shponim shana. Moses was 80 years. Ve'im kol ziknatam, even given how old they were, hishkimu, what does l'hashkim mean? To get up early, right? By Yashkem Abraham Baboker. Abraham got up early in the morning to the binding of Isaac. Vihizdarzu. What does that mean? What is, they hurried. Zrizin makdimin la mitzvah. Those who are zealous for mitzvahs, they rushed to do a mitzvah, right? So he's darzu. They, they, they got up early and they showed great passion. Liratzon konam. Towards the will of their creator. Ki omnam, for indeed. Sforno was saying, particularly if you think about how long, long lifespans weren't in the Middle Ages. <laughs> Anyone who's getting close to this age, don't take this personally. Once you get to 80, even, or you might say, especially in those days, uh, already had passed the days of, you were, you, you were already white-haired, you were already aged. But you had gotten to gvurot, which is um, trans, it's translated as strength, but we'll look at the mission in a second and how it translates it. But a sense, like, like a, a certain characterological strength after old age, but not physical strength. Uh, just as King David, doesn't say King David, but the commentators assume that King David is the author of Psalms. David testified in his prayer in Psalm 90, which we'll look at in a second, that the days of someone are 70 years, and all of you get lucky, you get to 80. Let's look at that. Yes, let's look at that verse. Okay. Psalm 90. For some of us change when we dive in the moon and survive. No one hears you. No. Still. Well, some, of, some of us, at least me, I actually changed the wording as I read that uh, psalm on Shabbat morning. To it, because to, you... Because I'm getting, because I'm already Shivim Shana and Shmonim seems too close, so I say Tishim Shana. Uh -huh. Good. Uh, it's like the, those who um, changed the paragraph of Nachem on Tisha B'Av from the present tense to the past tense because it describes Tish, Jerusalem as destroyed and barren. And Jerusalem right now is not destroyed and barren, current political machinations notwithstanding. And so some people say, I can't say the words that Jerusalem is chareva. I have to say that it was chareva. Right? Uh, Psalm 90, verse 9, All our days, God, they pass away in the face of your anger. We spend all of our days like a hega, like a, like a nothing, like it, or... Hega here either means like we're always sighing and it's hard, or it's as ephemeral as a sigh. It's hard to know what the verse means. And then our verse, or the verse that Sforna was referring to, the average lifespan is 70 years. What Jewish ritual responds to that? What somewhat rare Jewish ritual responds to the idea that a biblical lifespan was thought to be 70 years? What happens at age 83 for some Jews? 
a second bar mitzvah, right? It's kind of a common sweet ritual. We've, we've done a few here. We did it for Marshall Temkin a few years ago. Who else do we do a second bar mitzvah for? I forgot. Who? A. Berman got his third and fourth. Yes. Oh, they are right. I joked with him that I joked with him that if he really wanted his third, it's not 13 years after 83. It's at 153 that he should have his third. But anyway, um, that it's it's sort of a common and sweet thing that on your 83rd birthday you come and you get an aliyah of the Torah and you read your parsha and it's a way of saying you lived your lifespan and now you're bar mitzvah again, right? If it hadn't been for COVID, I would I had wanted to do it when I was 82. Barbara, now it's harder to hear Barbara. Ugh, I don't know where Hector is. Uh, but I think what Barbara said is that had it not been for COVID, you would have wanted to celebrate your second bar mitzvah. So we'll have to do it. We'll have to do it whenever you're feeling up to it. When you're 96. When you're 96. <laughs> and the verse continues, <laughs> if you've got real vigor, meaning if you're lucky and you have good genes, you get to 80 years, and then the, then the psalm gets very um, morose. The robam amal, the aven, most of them are awful. Most of those years are filled with toil and distress. Kigaz, chish, v'naufa. And they... They, they pass by so speedily, and we are in darkness. So, Sforno says um, that um, even though normally it's the case that by 70, and certainly by 80, you've reached the end, right? Moshe and Aaron were different because they were able to continue to get up and do their work generatively and vigorously. Now, some of you might remember this uh, text from Pirkei Avot, which talks about um, the different years that the rabbis imagined were signposts in a human being's life in terms of what they signified that you were ready for and up to. Hi, Chloe. Who uh, Haya Omer, this I forgot, is Yehuda ben Tema. Um, we could spend a long time in this Mishnah. We're not. I just want you to see it in context. Ben Chamesha Nimla you start studying Torah at five. Ben Esther Le Mishnah, you study Mishnah at 10. Ben Shlosh Esrei Le Mitzvot. Bar Mitzvah. When you're 13 years old, we study this text in the ritual committee. You're obligated to mitzvot. Does not make a distinction here between male and female, which is why I think that one of the reasons why I think Bar Mitzvah should be at 13 and not at 12 and a half. Ben Chamesh is straight to Talmud. You start studying the Talmud when you're 15. Um, although the, the Mishnah here does not mean the Talmud, because the Talmud didn't exist at the time of the Mishnah. So it probably means just like upper level study. Ben Shmone Asrei Lachupa, get married at 18. Ben Asrim Lirdof, go pursue, hard to know what it means, either meaning or a career and income when you're 20. Ben Shloshim Lakoach, 30 years you're at the height of your vigor. Ben Arbaim Lavbina, you have you can start getting true wisdom when you're 40, right? This connects to um, Rabbi Akiva's beginning his quest for understanding of that age. Ben Chamishim Leitza, when you're 50 years old, you can finally give counsel, you've, you've earned it. Ben Shishim Lezikna, you've reached Zikna, whatever Zikna means, old age at 60. Ben Shivim Seva, by 70, your hair is getting white and you're on the downhill. Ben Shmonim Lagvura, I love, I, I, we could spend an hour on why, what the Mishnah meant when it says that you hit Gvura, strength, after you've hit old age and after you've gone white-haired. I think it means kind of a characterological spiritual strength. It does not mean personal uh, a physical vigor. It can't mean that in the context, but that's not for this class. Ben Tinshim Shuach, you start bending over when you're 90. I won't be the last line because it's too depressing. Okay. So, um, 
uh, Sforno is aware that that's how the rabbis understood the arc of life. And generally, when you're 80 and 83, you're not beginning your life's major work. Moshe and Aaron do. So this is several different ways of saying, why are we being told that their age at this time? Because it's amazing to know that this is how old they were, and the story is just beginning. Right? And it says something about the greatness of Moshe and Aaron and God's relationship with him in contradistinction to any other prophet that was part of our tradition. Okay. Uh, let me stop um, and see if there are any comments or thoughts on, on that. Alan. Yeah. Well, it seems that the, the notion of years is quite amorphous. You talked about Methuselah being 969, and now that was earlier on and now at some point the notion of what it means to be years you know 1883 are old and yet we know that Sarah lived to be 127 you know and so where does it change that you know 120 and Abraham was 170 something right where where when and where does this change take place in the calculation of years being what we would accept as, yeah, yeah. you're going to live to be 80, 90, 100, whatever. It's a very good question, right? If I'm not mistaken, Moshe is the last character to die in the Torah whom we're told lived to three digits. Okay. This, um, this being uh, confused and enamored and impressed by what Moshe and Aaron are able to do with his age is hard to put, it's sort of hard and not hard to put back into the context of the years in Genesis because the years in Genesis are inflated. Um, but it's also the case that the Torah was aware that Sarah would be aware, would be uh, confused that she was able to have a child at this age because she exclaims it, right? That Haitali Edna, that at this, at this stage of my life, I'm gonna have a child. I led Ben the at ninety, right? So it's both that the earlier numbers in Genesis are larger than we can imagine a true lifespan, and that there was also some awareness that some of the things were happening at a stage in life where they wouldn't happen anymore. And by here, um, the, the the numbers are getting close to normal, right? Uh, I don't remember if any human being has lived to the age one hundred and twenty yet, maybe close to one hundred and fifteen, one hundred and sixteen. Um, one hundred and twenty is like really it's almost prescient it's like the the edge of what someone could have imagined would be the 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 lifespan which makes me think that by the time we get to moshe whether or not the human being moshe lived to be this old the torah was already in a stage of saying this is the longest lifespan even imaginable and we're going to assign it to moshe whereas when it was abraham in the 170s it was purely in the realm of the mythical um okay anything else in this verse all right, we'll go to the next verse, which is the last verse in this stretch uh, that does not have a Rashi. Um, and it's a very simple verse, but we'll make things unsimple because that's, that's how we play the game. Uh, whom have we not heard from today? Uh, Rick, do you want to read verse uh, 8? Sure. Sure. Um, All right. God said to Moses and to Aaron, saying, 
All right. You're hard to hear because of the speaker is down, so we're trying to up it, up it. But I think you translated as that God said to Moses and Aaron saying, really hard verse, right? right? You understand why Rashi's quiet on it, right? It would be hard to find something interesting to say about this verse. But Larry is always up for a challenge. So I'm not sure that this is true all the time, but it's pretty clear to me that the second ve'el is very significant. Uh-huh. Even in English, you don't usually say, and I spoke to Diane and to Rachel. You say, I spoke to Diane and Rachel. That means you spoke to them together. Yeah. If I spoke to Diane and to Rachel, kind of indicates I put them apart and spoke to them separately. So I'm kind of shocked that Rashi didn't ask the question, why is that the L in there, even grammatically? Yeah. Because it seems to me, I, I didn't look at the legends of the Jews, but there must be a lot of Midrashim about this. And if there isn't, we should write one. Right. So if there's anything to ask about this verse, it's something in that realm, right? Sometimes we ask in Hebrew, in the Bible, in the Torah, why a direct, the word et, which connotes a direct object, is or is not applied to the second object in the verse, right? And the same thing could be said about a preposition. El is a preposition. You could have written this verse, Vayomer Adonai El Moshe Aharon. Right? God spoke to Moses and, and Aaron, and you don't need the second two. Although I think in colloquial English, not that Hebrew has to respond to it, I think we normally would put the two in. I, sp- I, sp- I spoke to my mom, my, hmm, spoke, I spoke to Larry and to Diane. I spoke to Larry and Diane. I guess, I guess it's interchangeable, right? Um, but it didn't ha- the, the second L didn't have to be there, okay? So, um, and we've seen that in several places where there's either a second et or L, or a missing et or l, and it's hard to figure out what the what the um, what the context is and how to read it. We'll look at one commentary who says something about that in a second. But first, Rabbi. Right? Yeah, hi, Reishi. Right, that's where the uh, uh, daughters for uh, uh, Cain and Abel to marry. Right, Reishi Baralohim et Hashemayim ve'et Haaretz. Why are there's two ets? Well, those are the those are the other creations. Right, you know that one. I don't know that one. Oh, well, why isn't it Bereshi bara Elohim et hashemaim v'ha'aretz? Right. Why, why are there two ets there? It's, it's the same idea. And I read some midrash someplace. Maybe it was uh, in uh, in Bereshi, uh, uh, Rashi. I don't know, but um, that was explaining those two ets were the the daughters that Cain and Abel married. Or not able, he was gone. But uh, Seth, I suppose. And, and yeah, but the ets are grammatical, and the et, the l the l is not the l is a different story. The et the same principle. Say, it's not the et is grammatical and is supposed to be before each of the direct objects. Well, it's it's both the case. That there are places in the Torah where you could have two ets and you have one, and you could have one et and you have two. And that you could have two L's and you have one and one L and you have two, right? So um, you're right. They, they, they're different uh, grammars. One of them is, uh, is, in, is in front of a direct object. I want a preposition. But it's both the case that they sometimes slip in and out. Rick? The other one is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It, it, it's, each of them has their own relationship. I've heard lots of rabbis say that. Um, 
You mean Kach et Pinchai Didchai et No, no, no. When um, he, God is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, it doesn't say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ve, ve, ve. It's it it specifies each guy. In so the Amidah, you mean? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Larry. And there's one more place where I think you think that the the et is important. At least I do. When we when you do the Mishaberach. And you're saying a list of names. You don't say the names. You say yeah. the et, the et, the et. It's a separator. Yeah. True. E- each I, gets their own moment in the sun, their, their own the, place. Their own et. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's look at one commentary on this. Because I wanted to give you at least one on every verse that Rashi was quiet on. Okay. Ibn Ezra. What do we know about Ibn Ezra? Primarily, not primarily, but a, but a real grammatical stickler. If there's a single um, grammatical or syntactical form that's a little bit off, he's going to say something about it even more reliably than Rashi. Vayomer Adonai, right? This verse, God began Lishatfam. What does Shotef mean? Participate, they're partners. Or join, right? Combine. God here began to combine or to partnerize the two of them. Meaning up until now, God has mostly spoken to Moses and told Moses to do what? Speak to Pharaoh. Speak or speak to Aaron, yeah. right? Primarily, Moses has been the recipient of God's word and maybe exclusively, and Aaron is also kind of brought along. But here is the first time, Ibn Ezra saying, and I trust him, that God is speaking to Moses, the El Aharon, and he's speaking to Aaron too. Why? God knew that initially in the first encounter with Pharaoh, remember Moshe's already been to Pharaoh. God knew that in the first encounter with Pharaoh, Pharaoh was not gonna ask for a sign to prove who they were. Rather, <coughs> Pharaoh was gonna say more confidently, I don't know who your God is, I don't know who you are. Meaning, Pharaoh was not gonna be yet ready in the first encounter to say, I'm willing to consider that you are representing a meaningful God if you show me a sign. Pharaoh was dismissive completely. And therefore, I think the, the internal logic is that Mo, that Aaron, who's going to be helpful in actually doing some of the Moftim, some of the signs that will convince, convince um, Pharaoh, was not needed. But now, now in the second encounter, God knows, because God knows everything, that Pharaoh is going to both kind of warm up to the possibility that they're, being, they're representing a real God and they're going to ask for proof, or you could say, is going to be even more, um, um, you know, uh, to take take a a more direct stance with them and say, "You want me to take you seriously? You have to prove something." And therefore, this is the moment that Moshe and Aaron's partnership—one of them speaking, the other one clarifying what's speaking—and they're doing the the, uh, the the miracles is going to be more significant. So this is where Aaron's uh, direct uh, role as messenger of God begins. Therefore, he gets his own L. Rick. Um, sorry to disagree with Ibn Ezra, because he can't defend. sorry, by the way. He, he can't defend himself, but. Um, Doesn't need to. Uh, chapter 4, verse 27. God tells Aaron, hey, go see Moses. Moses is coming back from Midian. So 
he he does talk to Aaron right yeah, there. Talk, talk, talking to Aaron, I mean, if, if I were to defend Ibn Ezra to you, I would say talking to Aaron is different than including Aaron as the primary recipient of prophecy. But yes, right. So God has spoken to Aaron, um, and I and I uh, uh, six thirteen. Uh, Who was uh, that? Who said that? That was Stevie. I I got four chapter four twenty seven. Yes, and six thirteen also. You said. Yeah, good. Well, that's that's both of them. That's both of them. Yeah, but so Aaron is by himself got, when Ibn Ezra's got some explaining to do. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if Ibn Ezra says anything on six thirteen. Hold on a second. No, the 427. Look at that one. <laughs> yeah, let me pull up. Uh, why should I look at it on my page? Let's put, put it up on Safari. We'll look at it together. We'll explore it together. So Tanakh, Shmot, 6, 13. Can I add something else? One second. Ibn Ezra. Vaida Bear, the God spoke to um, Moses and Aaron. Atak Kalal Ha'inyan. Here God is including all of the specifics. Kigam Aharon Yemelitz Beno Uvein Paro. Because Aaron's going to be an interpreter between him and between Pharaoh. Kasher Yefaresh Od. Alkain Hishtatfush Nehem Bedibor. As this can be explained later. Therefore, God, same root, Hishtatfu, join them together. So I guess Ibn Ezra would say back to. Rick and Stevie, you're right, and I said something similar there too, <laughs> right? That that this is sort of referring to the same idea, and this is the this is a, this is the second of two places where God is bringing them together uh, because their their um, their roles are going to be so joined. Yeah, I really didn't share the screen. Did I share the screen? Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, anything else on this? No. It's... All right. So now we get back to. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 7, or we get to verse 9 of chapter 7. Um, and this is the first time that Rashi is going to say something in quite a long time. Um, Rebecca, do you want to read, Rebecca or Leonard, I don't know if you're both there. One of you choose. Do you want to read verse 9? Mm. This may okay. be the most number of verses we've done in a Rashi class in a long time. alechem <laughs> paro. <laughs> Lemor, Tnu Lachem Mofet, Vamarta El Aharon, Kach et Matcha, Vahashlech Lifne Paro, Yehi Latan Latanin. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when Pharaoh will speak to you saying, give yourselves a wonder, um, you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it out before Pharaoh that it will be a serpent. Good. All right. Um, so God here is, anticipating what's going to happen in encounter number two. 
Um, <coughs> there are a couple of things. I'll, 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 I'll translate it again, although Rebecca did a great job of translating it. I'll translate it again, just kind of pausing to, to let some of the ideas simmer to see if it awakens any questions um, in everyone. Key probably here means when. It doesn't mean because, right? Key, key can sometimes mean when. When Pharaoh is speaking to you, Yidaber Alechem Paro, Lemor, and this is what he would say, quote, Tnu Lachem Mofet. Tnu Lachem Mofet is an interesting phrase. Give to yourselves a sign. Now, we know that Lachem, the, the Lamed, can sometimes mean two, and it can sometimes mean four. If it's give for yourselves a sign, how would we make is that? Is that better? How, what might that mean? It might be something like do yourselves a favor, and if you want to have any um, authority in my presence, you're going to have to prove it to yourself or prove it, prove it to me. But the lachem is interesting. Via Marta el Aharon, and you, Moses, say to Aaron. I'm highlighting that because I think that's interesting given the previous verse. Kach et madcha, take your staff, the hashlech lifnei Pharaoh, cast it down in front of Pharaoh. It's Pharaoh, not Paro, because of Bumaf and because of Beged um, Kefet and Ahoy. Yehilitanin, it will become a serpent. It seems to me there's a there's a missing vav here, right? It would sound better, I think, if it was kach et madcha v'hashlech lifnei Pharaoh v'yehilitanin, right? Um, and it, and not as a vavayipuch, but vavachibor, and and in doing so, it'll become a a, a serpent. Look at the uncleus a second. Does everybody should I pull up the uncleus? Everyone have it? I always forget if if, there, if there's anybody who doesn't have it. I want to pull it up. Um, second. Where are we? Seven nine. Hey Hector. Yeah. Okay, um, translations, I forget where the Targum, okay. Arei Yimalel Levatchon Paro. Arei is an Aramaic for when. Yimalel, we've played that, we've done that before. Malel is the Aramaic word to speak from which we get the word Mila, a word. Levatchon Paro speaks to you. Lemeymar saying, Havu lachun atta. How do you know the word atta in Aramaic? But what's the Hebrew version of atta? Ot. Oti leolam, sign, right? So uh, Uncleus is translating the Hebrew word mofet, which means a some kind of a sign or wonder, into the Aramaic atta, which is similar to the Hebrew word ot, which, which you might know as, as Shabbat is a sign. Betemar laharon, you should say to Aaron, sav yat chutrach, take out your... Chutra, is that ringing a bell? Chad yeah. yeah. So it's it's nice that we're reading this week, right? That's the Aramaic word for a stick. It's the thing that hits the cat, right? Urami kadam paro, throw it in front of Pharaoh. Interesting that it's the Aramaic word rami. Resh mem yud is a very common Talmudic verb form to describe what happens when one sage is throwing a verse add a different verse to put it into conflict. So it can mean to cast against as a ideological conceptual thing, and also literally means to throw, yehi letanina, it becomes a serpent. I wanted you to see the chutra, and I wanted you to see the word atta. Okay, so um, 
what um oh was i not sharing the screen that whole time Ugh, i keep forgetting that i'm not doing that um what might people ask or say about this verse before we will we'll probably just get to the questions today and then we'll get to this rashi next week rick you got on mute yeah hi i was just going to say it's different at the end of the next sentence there it's vayahi instead of just yahi so but i was reading ahead i'm sorry yeah, the, the, um, yeah, that vayahi by reading head is actually a vav hayipuch because that's that's describing something that happened, and the the fur the verse looks like it's a future tense, and it's basically and and indeed it became a tanin. I was suggesting that it would sound better in our verse for there simply to be a vav suggesting that that the you know connecting the ideas. Uh, Alan, well, you highlighted this, but just to. So it's absolutely clear uh, it, it's beginning that God is talking to both Moses and Aaron as their partners in this. And then, but when he speaks, he's, it's like he's talking to Moses yes. only and say, okay, Moses, when this happens, you will tell Aaron to Correct. do this. Correct. All the work that we did in the previous verse that suggests how interesting that Aaron, in addition to chapter 6, verse 13, is finally getting his day in the sun and he's being spoken to as an equal of Moshe, in verse nine it seems that moshe is now the only one being spoken to because moshe again is once again getting an instruction from god about what to say to aaron so the the connection of those two verses is fascinating larry i disagree that's only because of our enslavement to the english in other languages it would be and now you have to think of god actually corporally speaking to two people so he's looking at both and or one so in English, I would have translated this as, um, and Alter says, should Pharaoh as opposed to when. The key, on the key? Yeah. I'm going to have you read other translations in a second, yeah? Should Pharaoh speak to y'all? Because we don't have a y'all. We don't have a plural you in English that we use right mm -hmm. now. So God is saying, he, as Alan said, he's speaking to them both, clearly. Then he looks at Moses yeah. and he says, he says, you the singular you, yeah. you then will <clears throat> say to Aaron, and that what he says to him, he says, take your staff. So he's looking at Aaron now. That second your mm. is the singular speaking to Aaron. It's all the, the problem is clearly that we in English don't separate any longer between the plural and the singular of the second of the second person. If we were only Southern, Southerners who understand this better. Or if you're Portuguese or French or, or, or Hebrew. Or New York or Jews. We would, we would all understand it. Or New Yorkers, Jews, yeah. One of the great weddings I was ever at was my, my colleague, Rabbi Brian Strauss, who's now a rabbi hmm. in Houston. He grew up in Dallas. And his, his wedding to his Dallas bride was a very Dallas wedding. And it was a combination of like Dallas, Dallas, and then rabbinical students, Jewy. Like it was a it was a hoot nanny and simcha dancing at the same time with like alligator boots and big cowboy hats and horas and I'd never heard more y'alls uh, mentioned and it seemed that they were using y'all as a singular. So once I remember one of his like one of the bride's uncles was up there giving like a wonderful somewhat inebriated speech at the wedding and he kept referring to his niece as y'all singular and someone shouted out. Well, something like, like, well, what's the plural of you all? And he goes, all you all. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> you all is singular, but all y'all is plural. 
<laughs> so even I think in the South, it's hard to know what exactly what you all means. Um, I wanted to show you, let's show the screen, Everett Fox's translation, and I want to hear Arya Kaplan, if we can, uh, how we deal with the Tznulachem Mofet. So um, this is Everett Kaplan. When Pharaoh speaks to you, so he turns the key into a when, saying, give, comma, you, comma, a portent. It's interesting what he does with Lachem. He, 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 he somehow takes out the preposition of Lachem, and he's basically reading it as if it says, Tnu Atem, right? Sometimes you might, you might um, emphasize a pronoun to someone, like, like you know, um, and I would say to Larry, you know, translate Larry as, you know, the way Arya Kaplan does, right? So I would emphasize the pronoun, the personal pronoun or the, or the, um, the, 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 a you pronoun. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say tnu atem. It says tnu lachem. But Everett Fox is turning it into a pronoun as opposed to a preposition, and he translates the word portent. Mofet is portent. Okay. What is? How does Arya Kaplan translate that? We heard how uh, Halter does. He has three different sentences. Um, when Pharaoh speaks to you, comma, he will tell you to prove yourself with a miraculous sign. Period. You brackets Moses must then tell Aaron. Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, period. Let it become a viper. Tell me again how he handles the tru lachem mofet. He, he, meaning Pharaoh, will tell you to prove yourself with a miraculous sign. Tell you to prove yourself. Okay, that's how he does the lachem. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, this Zapper, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, provide a wonder for yourselves, as yeah. you'll say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh. Yeah, for, <clears throat> your, for yourselves. This commentary that I just recently found, not commentary, translation I really found, recently found on Safaria, Torah Yashara. When Pharaoh will speak to you demanding, interesting, it turns a little more demanding, display a supernatural wonder as proof that he who sent you has power, right? That's how he deals with Mofit. Um, but he doesn't deal with the Lachem at all, right? He's, he's a very, um, it's not a creative translation. It's just a very colloquial paraphrasing of what the verse says. Uh, Diane, probably last comment of the morning. Uh, actually, we're three minutes over. So Diane, quickly. So, well, maybe this isn't such a quick thing we can talk about next week, but um, are there other places in the Torah or the Tanakh where people become conjurers, magicians? I mean, it, it's, if you look at this, the Gadol, yeah. this is a really weird thing. You're conjuring a, a serpent or, or a crocodile, a tanin? Some kind of a sea creature, yeah. Yeah. I mean, right, especially weird. because we're going to have very clear laws later on the Torah against sorcery, right? All right, let's hold it here. We're not having class next week, but I encourage you to come to Siyum Bechorah, whether you're a firstborn or not. We'll have, you'll hear some Mishnah study and completion of Masechet Mikvaot that we've been studying. Um, and no class next week. It's going to have a lot of no class recently coming up because no class the week after that because it's Pesach. We're going to have class the week after Pesach, but then the week after, the two weeks after that, some of us are going to be on the trip to the Balkans, uh, we'll, and including Leonard. So Leonard, who normally teaches when I teach, will not be available to teach. I'll send out an email with all of it um, so that everyone's aware. Chag Kasher uh, Let me know if you want to sell chametz at any point. I got to run to another appointment that I'm late to. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.
You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.